Hi, welcome back to Ask a Monk. Today's question comes from Fisk Thumbs Consultant. What is really the mind and how did the Buddha use the last four parts of the five aggregates and nama in nama rupa to explain the mind? Did the Buddha use any other ways of explaining the mind? Understanding what the mind is is hard. Please help. What is really the mind? The mind the definition of mind, and here this is the meaning of nama or vijnana or titta, which in the end are all uh, just different ways of saying basically the same thing. It's that which knows. Um, in reality, we we understand there are two parts. One part is one part of reality isn't aware of anything. It's the unconscious part of reality. That part we call rupa and in English we translate that into form or material or the physical. The other part knows something, it's aware of things, generally aware of the physical but also aware of other other mental states. This knowing um, we call nama. This is, uh, th this is all that really exists in the mind and, and the other aspects of it are the quality of knowing because not every knowing is the same. Sometimes we, the, this knowing, this awareness, this observation of things is based on a judgment, anger or greed. Sometimes it's impartial. Sometimes it's happy, sometimes it's unhappy. Um, not every knowledge is the same. And so these are the various qualities of the mind. But essentially, the meaning of mind is that which knows. And in this sense, it's really um, not very difficult to understand at all it's very much a part of meditation practice and and if you practice sincere meditation um, it, it's quite easy to to see that which which is the mind for instance when you're watching the stomach if you watch it rising and falling there is the reality of the stomach rising and falling but there's also the knowing of it and these are two distinct things we know this because you're not always aware of the rising and falling if the mind doesn't go out to the object, then there's no awareness. Sometimes the mind is elsewhere. The rising and falling is still occurring, but the mind is not aware of it. So until the mind and the body come in contact, there's no awareness. Um, and, it, and this is what is meant by the mind. Um, the, the body is one thing, the mind is another, and when they come together, that's called experience. As far as the, the five aggregates, this is one very important way of understanding what is the body and mind, and essentially what is uh, what is reality? The way the Buddha explained the five aggregates, it's they are something that arises at what are called the six senses. So we always talk about the five sense, but actually there are six: the five that we normally understand, and the sixth one is the mind, the the, the purely mental, the thinking, our mental landscape. So when you see something. There are five things that arise. There's the physical, which is the eye and the light that touches it. That's a, um, a physical reality. Then there is number two, the feeling, which is in the beginning neutral, but can uh, evolve into a pleasant or an unpleasant um, feeling based on what we see, whether it's beautiful or ugly, or how we, um, how we react to it in the mind. Number three is our recognition of it, our perception of it as yellow, white, blue, as a, a car, a bird, a tree, uh, remember recognizing it as this person or that person. 
Number four is what we think of it, our judgments, liking it, disliking, getting angry or getting um, uh, becoming attached to it and so on. And number five is the basic awareness which, which governs all of the other, uh, which governs the whole of the experience. These five things are called the five aggregates. That's how the Buddha explained it and that's what happens when you meditate. When you see something and you say to yourself, seeing, 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 you're aware of all of this. And sometimes one is clearer, sometimes the feeling is clearer, sometimes the memory, the, the, the recognition that this is something I've seen before. Sometimes it's the, the what you think of it, the judgment of it. Sometimes it's just the clear awareness, the fact that you, you, you're aware of things. You, you, you know that you're seeing this knowledge of it. Uh, when you hear, it's the same. When you smell, when you taste, when you feel, and when you think. When you think, there, there's the physical, but it's not really in play there. The physical is required um, as a base for the human experience. But then there are the, basically the four experiences based on thought, based on a, a thought that has arisen, um, which, which is a, you know, can arise because of the physical or, or because of the mental. So, that's, um, did the Buddha use other ways of explaining the mind? Yeah. This is the, the most standard experience of, uh, explanation of how to understand the mind, but there's, the, the Buddha used a lot of ways to, un to explain both body and mind, and the most comprehensive, if you're really interested in that sort of thing, is in what is called the Abhidhamma, which is, um, the most detailed exposition on, on, uh, on, on the, the body and the mind, which includes 121 different types of mind state. And it's basically a permutation of the various types of, of mind states that can come together. For instance, there are eight types of greed, of, of consciousness based on greed or craving. Um, and you get, the, you get the number eight because there are three factors. There are greed states that are um, associated with pleasure and, and those that are associated with equanimity. There are greed states that are um, that are accompanied by wrong view, by the, the, the understanding that it's good to be greedy, and there are greed states that are not associated with view, so the understanding that it's wrong but still wanting something, the understanding that it's not useful for you but still wanting something. Um, and the third one, whether it is um, it is prompted or unprompted, whether it's uh, it comes from itself or whether there's an external stimulus like someone urging you to steal or so on, or or, or you know some kind of other factor that um, it doesn't spontaneously arise. So with these three factors, you have two times two times two, and you get eight different kinds of of greed minds. Um, there are two kinds of anger mind, two kinds of delusion mind, minds that are simply based on delusion. And those are the twelve unwholesome minds, and then it goes on and on and on. There are um, there are eight great wholesomes, or, or eight sensual sphere wholesomes, and eight um, I can't even remember. It's been a long time, but it, it, I, I've got the book, and you can go through it. And there's 121 of them, and some of them are super mundane. Some of them are based on meditative states, um, and uh, and then there are 52. I'm probably getting it wrong. There's a whole bunch of, of mental states that are involved here, like the ones that are involved in all of these minds, the, the, the mental qualities that are only in some of the minds, only in the wholesome minds, only in the unwholesome minds, um, and so on and so on. And uh, so it, it's a very complex um, 
breakdown of, of the, the mental landscape. Um, all of that's really theoretical, but it, it does give a, a, a good understanding of, of the various details of the things that you're going to run into in, in your meditation practice and in your life, understanding what a mind state is. And it also helps you to break down some of the, as I said, entities, where we think this is a problem, something's going on, to be able to break it down and see, oh, it's actually just states of greed, states of anger, things that are arising in my mind. It's my um, <clears throat> um, extrapolation of thing of, of something very simple. Um, but but certainly too much for, for a short video. I'm not going into detail about that, but um, just so you understand, there are many different um, aspects or ways that the Buddha used of explaining the mind. And as you say, in the end, understanding the mind is hard. There's no getting around that. You can theorize, you can read texts and so on, but until you sit down and practice meditation, uh, you'll never really understand the mind. And once you sit down and practice meditation, it may still not be clear um, how that relates to to the five aggregates or how the Buddha talked about mind or consciousness or so on but it's not really important because all, all you you know you, you simply need someone like me to explain to you what is happening here and here and here as I've just done hopefully uh, helps with that but the point is that you're under, you're seeing reality it's not important that you understand the Buddhist concept of mind it's important you understand the truth of mind or the truth of the of reality it's not so important that you can say that's mind that's body that's this that's this uh, it's much more important that you see it for what it is. It is what it is at that moment. You see it clearly, and you're not judging it. You don't have to um, be clearly aware of, of what part of the Buddha's teaching that, that fits into, in terms of which one of the 121 minds it is, for example. When you can see that certain um, mind states are unwholesome, then you, you, you give those up. When you see that certain mind states are wholesome, then you follow those. and this comes naturally through the practice and that's most important but um, certainly it's not easy and uh, as far as the fact that the mind is difficult to understand there's a quote of the Buddha that's often um, often given and in in the Buddha's language it goes durangamang ekacharang asari ranguhasayang yejitang sanyame santi mokhanti marabandhana which means basically Durangamang, it, it um, travels far. Ekacharang, it travels alone. Uh, Asarirang, it has no form. Guhasayang, it dwells in a cave. And the point of this first part is, is to give you the idea of some terrible beast or demon or ghost, something that is very mysterious because it travels far and wide, alone, um, without form, in living in a cave. And then the next part is uh, which means um, a person who can um, who can uh, calm the mind this person becomes free from from the bonds of Mara the bonds of the e of, of evil so the mind is considered something that goes far it travels far and, and and can't be controlled in a moment you can think of be thinking of something a million miles or a thousand miles away um, and uh, it, it travels alone means that you, you, you're only aware of one thing at a time so the mind is always on one thing or another it's never in two places at once and it's certainly not uh, able to comprehend everything it, if, if you don't catch it and fix it and focus on one thing it's going to jump back and forth between objects 
asari rang means y y it, it's very difficult to understand and this is why in Buddhist meditation we always have you focus on the body and many people don't understand this they'll say you know what, what's the point I really want to understand the mind I want to understand how my mind works and that's where the problem is true but it's it doesn't have a physical form asari rang the mind is not something you can grab at and say there it is it's something that um, relies on the on the, the physical um, and so we have you focus on the physical and this is another thing that, that, that the, the texts talk about saying uh, that we, we have you always focus on the physical first and the point is that when you focus on the physical the mind becomes clear by itself once the body becomes clear then the mind becomes clear automatically and you don't have to do anything special you don't have to be um, chasing after the mind just like a hunter when they want to catch a deer or a, a wild animal they don't go running after, running through the forest after the wild animal they sit by the place where they know the, the deer is going to come either the water hole or the or the fruit trees or some place where they know that the deer are bound to to come at some point and they sit there and they wait and sure enough the mind will come um, come to them and they'll be able to to catch the you know, to do what they want. The same with in our meditation, we don't have to go chasing after the mind. When we focus on the rising and the falling, well, that's the mind going out to the rising and to, to the stomach, and we're going to see how the mind works. We're going to get angry sometimes, frustrated at it sometimes. We're going to be happy sometimes, unhappy sometimes. We're going to see how our mind reacts to things. We're going to be see see how see the the quality and the characteristics of our mind, our habits, and and so on. So, um, it, it's very difficult to catch the mind without this sort of a technique. This is why we use the body first, because it's asari lang, it has no uh, physical form. And guha sayang means it is, is the other part of this, is it dwells in a cave, and that cave is the body. The, the, this mind is, is somehow like trapped in the cage of the body. Um, it always has to come back and be dependent on this. So when you focus on any phys part of the physical, reality as it arises, you're going to be able to see the mind, you're going to be able to catch it. Um, like It's like finding the cage of the wild beast. You know where, where its limits are, you just watch those limits, which is in this case the body. Okay, so good luck training the mind, um, calming the mind, and um, keeping the mind clear and out of difficulty. This is the way, as the Buddha said, to overcome the bonds of Mara, which is like the Buddhist, Buddhist version of Satan, but it just means the evil that exists in our minds, and it's the way to overcome these things. Okay, so thanks for the question. Hope that helps.